Well, good afternoon. I greet you in his name. If you would, turn to Mark chapter 14. The context of our passage is late in the ministry, the earthly ministry of Christ. Mark 13, Christ talks about the signs of his return. If you want to be a doer of the word regarding eschatology, you have three commands. Do not be deceived, do not be alarmed, and be prepared. So if if you're losing it, if you are fearful because there's famine and there's wars and rumors of war, the word is stop it. Christ says, do not be deceived, do not be alarmed, and be prepared. In the beginning of Mark 14, the context is that of the chief priests and rulers seeking to arrest Jesus by stealth. And here is a wonderful irony, isn't it? We are in our 2000th year where the details of their plan are regularly preached to the masses, anything but secret. Immediately following our passage, Christ institutes the Lord's Supper. And so in this meal that we will read about, We see there are enemies on both sides. There are enemies within. And we see Christ doing excellently well, even so. Mark 14, 3 through 11, shows the great differences between Judas and Mary. And we have great instruction for our soul in this passage. The believer should know and fight against any tendency or degree in which we look like Judas. All that is in line with Mary is something that we should cherish and instruct our soul with and seek after. Christ's words in this passage are of the highest instruction and a great foundation for good to our souls. And so with that, let us read the word of God, Mark 14, verse 3. And while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper... As he was reclining at table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly, and she broke the flask and poured it over his head. There were some there who said to themselves indignantly, why was the ointment wasted like that? For the ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor, and they scolded her. But Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you. And whenever you want, you can do good for them. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, What she has done will be told in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad, promised to give him money, and he saw an opportunity to betray him. Brethren, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We bless you for Christ and his word. As we have just sung, he sets his will before our eyes. He shows us that way of righteousness. 
And now we as your people are gathered at his feet that we would learn from Christ, the shepherd of our soul. How we thank you for this true account of the works of love that abound through Mary, that the deeds that Christ said were his delight was a beautiful thing. Lord, help us also to be those who refuse and do battle against any willfulness in sin, any wickedness, Lord. And even in this, we bless you that you keep wickedness in bounds. We see it here before us. We extol Christ because of it. We cling to him and ask for your help to understand and to do according to your word. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. And so here we have seven comparisons of Judas to Mary and four applications. Let's dive in. The first comparison is Judas had position and title. Mary was a listener and a friend of Christ. Jesus was a man. Judas was with the disciples. Judas was trusted with the finances. He was followed by other disciples. In John 12, we see that he probably led the charge in the accusation against Mary and that the others willfully joined in with him. They became a band of one mind, determining for themselves what was good and right and what should have been done. He had a position. He had influence. Mary, on the other hand, had no such position. She was perhaps Jesus' best listener. Christ's words went deep within her, and most of what we see about Mary is not seen by the human eye. She saw the need to act, and she understood how to act with Christ at this time of opportunity. Jesus, Judas' official capacity in his office is being outshined by a greater life, a greater position, if you will, that is no position at all. His heart is like a basket over a lamp. And despite being given such an advantageous platform to show forth Christ, he puts forth himself. Brethren, let us remember that position can never compete with a heart filled with the love of Christ and a love for Christ. We see this in verse 3. In fact, as we are born of his spirit, it seems to be something against our very birthright that we would have the thought, I cannot please Christ unless I hold an office. I hold a position. I hold some special education. It seems to be something of our birthright that we were born into a principle that says, my heart is filled with love for Christ. Think of those throughout the ages that have shown forth love to Christ. A leper with nothing a paralyzed man for 38 years, a man who was lame and then was dancing. His only possession in life is that he could now dance. There was not a position, but there was love to Christ, and this outshines. Position can never compete with a heart filled with love for Christ, and this is a great distinction. Yes, Judas had position and title, but it is no comparison to what Mary had. A second comparison, we see that Judas took while Mary gave. Judas took from the money bag. We know in John 12, 6 that he was a thief. Judas went of his own initiative and took 30 pieces. He went to betray Christ and would take 30 pieces from the chief priests. He was all about taking. 
He was all about sequestering and gaining for himself. Look at Mary. She gave extravagantly. She did what she could. We see in verse 8, this is the pronouncement of Christ upon her. She did what she could. Given the setting, given the possessions that she had, given this narrow window of the last time that Christ would meet privately with his disciples, she took that time of opportunity and she did what she could. She gave. How can I give of myself? How can I give to Christ? We see how readily Judas converts Mary's bestowal to money. He says this in verse 5 is all reduced to dollars and cents. It can be reduced to a man's wages. Brethren, you know I love numbers. But here is an ugly use of numbers. Imagine if your mind were expanded beyond its capability and you could picture a banqueting hall and you could picture it in all its dimensions. You see the joy in the relationships, the pleasantness of the food. You can see the outward behaviors of people. You can see the joy and the remarkable purity of motives that are within. And let's say your mind could see even more than that, that your mind could see the spiritual realm at play, how Christ is displaying his kindness to realms and dominions beyond our understanding. This incredible full picture of love to Christ. Then you take that picture and you wash out all the color and you remove the spiritual aspect and you take away the heart and the joy and you take it even out the grays, you take them out so you're left with nothing but black and white. And then you take just the white to remove it and you have nothing but a little black box. And you say, this could have been sold for $300. 300 denarii, excuse me. It is such a thin and small and narrow of what is a glorious and full picture. That's an ugly use of numbers. Numbers should bring us to see the fullness of things. The reality of his provision for us. How he has cared. The Puritans used to say he gives us strength to earn a wage and the health to enjoy it. They saw beyond the bounds of simply a number. And here is the small mind of Judas. His taking mind has left him in a very small, very thin place. Mary's expression is of great depth. It is exceedingly beautiful, and Christ calls it as such. It is very timely on this last night where she says, I must honor Christ as time remains. It is perfume on the day of his burial. Christ will not always be among them, but she alone senses the urgency to bless Christ. She alone senses the need to give unto him while there is still time. This is indeed a great comparison between the two that Judas would take and end up with nothing and she would give and end up with everything. A third comparison. Judas betrayed while Mary blessed. We see that Judas' betrayal, it must have been in his heart long before now. It was subtle to some before it was hidden from others. But in verse 10, 
of course, now it is evident. It's evident to the enemies of Christ. It's evident to his own soul. Christ perhaps even knowing of it at this time. He is a thief. He is so ready, in Mary's case as well as other cases, he is ready to take an honor directed to Christ. And he's ready to circumvent that to another cause. Why should Mary directly honor Christ by giving when he himself, in his betrayal, can bend it to his own way, his own will, his own use? He is allied to Christ's enemies. He himself initiates evil against Christ, walking into the very den of thieves, of the Pharisees and scribes and chief priests themselves to betray Matthew Henry says, the reigning love of money is heart theft. And he is being ruled over by his love of money. Look at Mary and how she blesses. Mary honors Christ's person. She would not do an end run around Christ for her own design. She wants his person to be honored and glorified. In her eyes and in her actions, Jesus is cherished. Jesus is the one to be lifted up. Jesus is believed so fully and deeply that she sees what others do not see. Jesus' person and work is in view. See how she blesses so directly to the Savior. See how Jesus reflects this when he says, you will not always have me, the poor you will always have. Her giving is so much on the right track because her giving is so directly tied to the person of Christ. You may tell her of another good work, and it can indeed be a good work, but she says Christ is the one to be honored first and foremost, and in this way she blesses. And so we see in the great darkness of Jewish betrayal, Judas' betrayal, Mary is a great blessing. Our fourth contrast, our comparison, Judas used Jesus while Mary loved Jesus. Judas' association, it brought him acclaim, brought him position, nearness to money. Even in a very strange way, it brought him clout with the organized leaders that opposed Christ. It brought him travel and exposure and reputation among the disciples. In these, he found various uses. His purposes for himself was the king of his life. Judas used the treasury as a point of control. He used the position to influence others. He used the position to subvert funds. His king was his own purpose. He used Jesus. And brethren, the world as well as ourselves know when you see a presentation of Christ, maybe on TV, and you see Christ is being used as a platform for money, don't our hearts sink that the honor of Christ is subverted and someone would take this? Those actions that we see, when they are true, that someone would take a position, are Judas-like. They are betraying Christ. They are using Christ to that end. And in contrast to this, we see that Mary sweetly loves her Lord. Her heart was crushed 
over the death of her brother. And where does she take her cares and her heart? Where did her heart go? It went to the feet of Christ. He cared for her. She was weeping at his feet. Mary was driven by love to care for Christ now before his burial. And she will be the one to show up after his burial because her love for Christ didn't know a bound. Even when she came into this meeting, she had to violate some social norms because her love did not know a bound when it came to honoring directly the person of Christ. Mary seems to have naturally exhibited a lowly posture and yet a great desire for the presence of Christ. Mary is known as the one who was always at the feet of Christ. She listened to him at his feet. She wept in pain at his feet. She was in dismay and in astonishment and joy at his resurrection at his feet. She naturally knew her place and yet she naturally had this desire to be found close to the Savior. Is she not that very example of love that we want to follow in our own lives? It appears evident that true love to Christ is grown and is experienced in a way that I don't even think our words can capture. It is cherished beyond us, and at the same time, it is just simply cherished and beyond us. We see Judas used Jesus. We see Mary loved Jesus. A fifth comparison, Mary did a beautiful thing. Her heart loved and esteemed and yearned for Christ and honor to him. Jesus himself declares it in verse 6. She has done a beautiful thing. Judas, on the other hand, is rebuked by the Lord. He is told to leave her alone. In the same verse, leave her alone. She has done a beautiful thing for me. Isn't it glorious when Christ speaks? If we do a little mental exercise... What if I were one of the people eating food by Judas and the disciples and they began to decry her action? Brethren, I fear that maybe with their influence, knowing their closeness to Christ, knowing their level of instruction and years with the Savior as he taught, that I might be swayed by that if I had known nothing else. But here's the glorious truth. When Christ speaks, we can stand upon that. When Christ speaks, a, polar, a polarizing happens where the good is known for the good that it is and the evil is known for the evil that it is and we are able to stand on the rock because Christ with true knowledge, Christ with true wisdom speaks it forth and that's what happens here. What should our position be? Well, since we've read the scriptures, we know. We will leave her alone and we will protect her and we will see that what she's done is a beautiful thing and we can stand so solidly on this because Christ has spoken it. Christ has said it is so. We know her gift was beautiful and it was to be commended and not condemned. It's interesting to note whether she intended for it to be for the burial of Christ or if Christ simply afterward made the connection for us. 
our final truth that we are left with are the words of Christ. Commentators vary on if she knew the fullness of what she was doing. But Christ has made the connection. Christ took her beautiful act and again relayed it to his death. Again showed forth the prophecy of what he would do for his people. He received it in its best and most holy and most instructive and prophetic light. Again telling of his death. How wonderful is the word of Christ. It cuts through confusion. It cuts through the positions of men. It cuts through hearts that are yet unsanctified. And it gives us the truth. Mary did a beautiful thing. See how the Lord so clearly identifies and dispositions beauty from false accusation. Is that not a comfort? Of all the ills and worries and anxieties we experience in this world, he is the one who separates beauty from false accusation. He is the one who certainly and forcefully winnows holiness from sin and good intent from wicked motive. Each will be brought to their proper place under his dominion and power. That's where our sense of justice comes from. The same one who gives us grace is the one who gives us justice. Mary did a beautiful thing, and this is a great comparison. Strong contrast to Judas. Sixthly, Judas sold Jesus while Mary served Jesus. Judas sold the Savior for worldly advancement in verse 11. Mary served Jesus with her whole heart and with her intent in verse 8. Mary's service it seems to be of a humbler and quiet nature. Her service was in the vein of settled listening to the Savior and not in the harried moving of pots and pans of the same event. She was of a more pensive nature. Rather than hurrying to Jesus to fix the actions of her dead brother, she came afterwards to the feet of Christ. They say still waters run deep. And this seems to be the way of Mary. While others feast, she alone anoints the Lord who is nearing his death. Jesus, Judas sold Jesus, but Mary served Jesus. Our last comparison, Jesus establishes Mary as a gospel remembrance in verse 9. Though accused by those who display a lesser love for Christ, we know that Christ as a divine light, he casts it upon the actions and intents of all people. Our eternal habitation shall be determined by the, this judge of Christ alone. In Mary's case, the great shepherd owns and defends her person his work in her, plus her endeavor to love and serve him, results in nothing less than a worldwide gospel remembrance. Matthew Henry says, Christ commended this woman her pious attention to the notice of believers in every age. It is remarkable, isn't it, that Jesus himself would establish Mary as a gospel remembrance on a worldwide scale for believers of many ages.
Those are our seven comparisons. I have four questions for application, but two things I want to say before getting to those applications. The first one is a glorious fact for every child of God. Child of God, you have a defender in the Lord Jesus and not an accuser. By his word and by his power, hell must leave you alone. They must receive, you receive the best defense because you have the best counsel. You have the best king of kings. The accusations of the wicked towards you are addressed and then they will be leaving you alone. What good can be found in the believer's actions? Christ will find it. The intent he will give voice to. He will display it in its best light. Love hopes all things. This is from Christ who died and rose again. But is it not a glorious fact, child of God, that you have a defender like Christ? I think Balaam saw something of this defense, but to my knowledge, he never entered it. He said, let me die the death of the upright and let my end be like his. But I don't know that he ever entered that. He had a truth, but he never came under the defense of the defender. David saw this defense and he held it close. He said, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his faithful servants, and he did enter into it. Today, when we think of our defender, do we find ourselves owning ourselves, even at the point of death, to be those that would be defended by him? Is it a truth we simply know, or is it one that is cherished and loved, one which we reflect and glorify our Savior because of it? A second point before I get to the application, I think Every believer has something in them of a journey from being Judas-like to being Mary-like. At the start of our transformation with a new nature, much evil is seen. And what is ruling as king in our life, even in our first steps? What are we willing in the early steps of our Christian life to subvert to our own ends, whether by ignorance or whether by an intent or a willfulness that is not yet sanctified away from us? In the middle of our journey, the Holy Spirit is aiding us with that help of one who is closer than a brother to remove layers of sin and to develop and to help our heart to love Christ more. The transition is to be more Mary-like, if you will. At some point, the work of God reaches a point in our life where Christ is esteemed. Esteemed as more than anything this world can offer. All position and power and influence and riches, even security, falls like dust when compared to the glories of Christ and how we long for him to be glorified. And I think that's why there's such a wonderful passage. We want to refute those things that are Judas-like. We are born of the first Adam. We have everything it takes to be a Judas. But with new birth, with a new spirit, with the help of his Holy Spirit, we start this journey to show forth love to Christ. 
Yes, at times in much weakness. And many times we look at ourselves and say, I'm partially following Christ and I'm partially being dragged back by the old man. But we will move forward. Christ is to be glorified. And then at some point, it dawns upon us, this world has less and less to hold me here. And the pull and desire and focus on Christ draws me forward. I am ready to go as he sees fit. I am ready for him to have preeminence. Our words are like that of John the Baptist. May he increase and I decrease. And it begins to resonate so deep within our hearts that we see a love has been formed in our deepest soul. Glorious truth, you have a defender. Our journey and example in this passage is wonderfully instructive. Four questions for application. The first, and perhaps these are best in your prayer closet, best with the help of the Holy Spirit. The first question is, are we troublemakers or beautiful? When I look at my life or this past week, the things that I have said, the actions I have taken, how I've responded and perceived brethren, the world. Do I show myself to be a troublemaker? They should have done it this way. Or do I see myself as doing something beautiful to Christ by pointing to him? Judas cut down the people of God. Those with a tender, listening, and serving heart didn't matter to him. He was a troublemaker. Mary anoints Jesus in response to his word with a deeper understanding, and she finds the opportunity. She did what she could, and it's beautiful. Second question. Are we focused on ourself or on Christ? We've seen there are takers and givers. We know in our land there's takers and givers. We know our culture even puts it forth as a virtue that you should be focused on yourself. Your happiness, your stature, your position, these are what matter. Are we focused on ourselves or are we focused on Christ? Judas' focus was on himself and his gain. Mary's focus is on Christ. She's even hoping there's still time to express it. As she thinks on Christ, there's even an urgency. He needs glory now. There might not be, there will not be another night where he can be anointed. And he whom God anoints as Savior, she says, I will anoint him also. Because her focus is on Christ and not on herself. She has an urgency to express it. Now is the time. Now honor Christ. This is the focus of her heart. Do we have the same? Thirdly, what kind of love do we have? Judas' love results in emptiness. It's betrayal and it is judged and condemned. Mary's love 
makes her giving joyous? Is she worried? Does she sense that she's losing anything? Her heart is full. Her love is completing its desired purpose. There is a richness that she experiences. It was John Bunyan had a little ditty. There was a man, they thought him mad. The more he gave, the more he had. Mary's love makes the giving joyous, purposeful. It raises up her soul to such a satisfaction. We can see by its beginnings, by its exercise, and by its result, what kind of love do we have? Lastly, and above all, do you cling to Christ? He is our judge and our defense. His defense is true defense. To love him first, foremost, and far beyond second place. To love him is the ultimate endeavor of the redeemed soul. Do you cling to Christ? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, if we did not have the scriptures to show forth to us the richness of a Savior like Christ, we would never know. We could never dream this up or imagine it. A Savior who would come and die for us to raise us up. A shepherd that would love his sheep so well. A father that is so tender with his children. Residing in such perfection and holiness and yet taking from the depths of sin and misery and drawing us forth in him to a glorious end, we could never come up with this except it be shown us. And so our hearts are fully grateful for a Savior that has come and for a spirit that illumines our hearts and minds. Help us to live with love for Christ, with a giving spirit. Our eyes are fixed on you, We bless you for these things. Please seal them to our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen.